If you would turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. We're going to start reading about verse 18 this morning. But before we do, it's important to sort of understand what's coming up in this passage of Scripture together today. Friends, the claim that Jesus is God changes everything. The claim that Jesus is God changes absolutely everything. It means that we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that a man who lived in Israel 2,000 years ago was not just another man, not just a religious teacher, but that he was somehow the one true God in flesh walking on this earth. It means that we believe that no other claim to be God is true. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. It also means that there's a question that hangs over my life, over all of our lives. Will I accept this claim? Will I accept the truth that Jesus is God in flesh? Will I follow him? Will I reject him? This passage of Scripture that we're going to deal with this morning, Jesus begins to talk about this very fact. He is not only equal with God, but he begins to explain to us what that means, that he is not just equal with God, but he himself is God. And as he begins to do this, reveal this, the, the immediate reaction of the religious leaders, it's predictable and it's understandable as well. They think that what he is claiming is blasphemy. No one can be God, and this guy's claiming to be at least equal with God, so he has to be stopped. The miracle that he's just performed, he tells this layman at the pool, get up, take up your mat, and walk, and that frustrates the Jewish leaders. He does it on the Sabbath day, not just any other day of the week, but the Sabbath day, and that creates this conflict with these leaders. But all of this is an entry point for Jesus to begin to talk to them and to talk to us about who he is and about who God the Father is as well. So as this teaching begins, there are a couple of things I want us to keep our eyes on. And in fact, this is what John does with the next several chapters of his gospel. This begins a series of teachings in Jerusalem and in other areas around the Sea of Galilee in which Jesus is talking about who he is. And we've got a lot of, if you've got a red letter Bible, we've got a lot of red letters coming up over the next several chapters. And this teaching begins the process in John's gospel. But here's how all of this begins for us today. The first is that Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father, utterly and absolutely unique. At its most basic and fundamental level, with everything that Jesus says in our passage today, He's trying to tell us that the relationship between himself and God the Father is absolutely unique. Jesus knows what God is up to, and he only does what God wants him to do. This is an idea that Christ is actually going to come back to several times inside of his gospel. Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. And then he's going to get around to uh, talking about you and me. The listening and trusting in Jesus is life. For everything that Jesus describes about himself and the Father and honor and glory and judgment and authority and everything that's going to come up here, the basics are simple. Can I learn to hear Jesus? Can I learn to trust Jesus? To live as if this is all actually true. 
Well, let's begin reading, and let's pick up in John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. This is right where we ended last time, but I want to begin with this thought to make sure we understand what's coming up. John chapter 5, verse 18 says this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is why the Jews are trying all the more now to kill Jesus Christ. Well, we come in right at the end of another story. Let's go back to verses 16 and 17 and make sure we hear everything that's going on in the minds of these Jewish leaders. Verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things. He raised uh, this man, this lame man, and told him to take up his mat and walk, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why they sought to kill him, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, and he was making himself equal with God. So the Sabbath day, according to these Jewish leaders, it is one of the Ten Commandments. But then the way that these Jewish leaders, specifically the Pharisees, have, have built their culture, have built their laws about the Sabbath day, it required, or these laws required, that a pious or observant or a religious Jew avoided all kinds of work on the Sabbath day. So Jesus who does a lot of work on the Sabbath day, by the way. He heals and feeds and saves a lot of people on the Sabbath day. He tells a slain man, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And the Jewish leaders become angry when they see this formerly lame man who's been healed walking and carrying his mat. They don't see a man who is healed. They see a man who is carrying his mat too far. So they get frustrated with the Sabbath violation, and they want to know, who told you to break the Sabbath laws? The guy turn around, turns around, turns Jesus in, and now the Jews are frustrated enough with Christ, they actually want to kill him. And Jesus throws a wrench into this conversation, into this problem. He's calling God his own father. And the way that he's doing this, he's making himself equal with the father. He's not just father God the way that he is father God for all of us, but he is actually co-equal with God the father, this unique relationship. And then he says that both he and the father are working. They're working on the Sabbath day. So Jesus knows exactly how to make these Jewish leaders just a little bit more grumpy at him than they were just a moment ago. But this is too much for them, so now they're actually seeking to kill him. This is our first hint in the Gospel of John at this level of opposition. No longer is he just an upstart rabbi who doesn't have the authority to say and do the things that he's doing. This is a man who's committing blasphemy and he's breaking Sabbath laws. So we actually have to kill him. I mean, this is intense very quickly in the life of Jesus Christ. And it's this tension that will now define the interactions between these Jewish leaders and Jesus and even the Roman governor as the rest of this gospel moves forward. But what's important for us to understand right now is that they clearly understand that Jesus is making himself equal with God. It's a threat to their understanding of God. There can't be two. There can't be a human being walking around on this earth claiming to be God as well. So Christ is pushed on their understanding 
And then he begins to explain what he means, that he himself is actually equal with the Father. This is exactly the issue that Jesus wants to raise. Who is this Jesus? So it's into that tension that Christ now begins to talk. He begins to teach. And he begins to talk specifically about the relationship that he has with God the Father. So here's what happens in John chapter 5. Let's go to verse 19 and continue to read. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. And this is this marker that John the Gospel uses. This is a solemn truth. This is an important point. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's a lot of beautiful things, powerful things happening in this passage. One of the things that Jesus is doing is he's taking the vocabulary of the Messiah, the anointed one, He's taking vocabulary that belongs to God the Father in the Old Testament, and he's pulling it into the present. He pulls it into himself. He's pulling it into his relationship with God the Father and all that Jesus is now doing. So this is deliberate. If you are these Jewish leaders, if you are a religious Jew and you're privy to this conversation, you're hearing all this language, this Old Testament language about the anointed one who is coming, about God the Father and all that he has done, and Jesus is pulling it all into himself. So this is powerful stuff that Jesus is doing. I want to make sure that we hear this and understand at least a little bit of what's going on. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. This solemn truth, truly, truly, the King James, I love it. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, truly, truly, I'm telling you what is going on. It is the Son, he's speaking of himself, who knows what the Father is doing. And then he says this interesting thing. The Son, Jesus, only does what the Father shows him to do. I know everything the Father wants done, and I will only do what the Father tells me to do. So Jesus knows the will of God, and Jesus does the will of God. Friends, everything that Jesus does is what God wants done. Everything he says is what God once said. This is a wonderful lens through which to read the Gospels. 
to understand that when we read about the life of Jesus Christ and everything that he does, everywhere he goes, the people he touches, the way that he does it, from healing, from, from uh, freeing demoniacs, to feeding the 5,000, to walking on water, Jesus only does what the Father gives him to do, wants him to do. So we're, we're watching the will of God unfold. As we listen to Christ talk, teach, to reveal who he is, what life is like with him, he is speaking everything that the Father wills. So this is a wonderful lens through which to understand all of the Gospels. Everything Jesus does is what God wants done. Everything he says is what God once said. And Jesus speaks in terms of his obedience to the Father. And that itself is interesting to us. If we believe that Jesus is God, fully and completely God, then it's interesting to us that Jesus says, I have submitted myself to only doing what the Father once done. Yet this is part of what we're learning from Jesus Christ. That Jesus is completely God and he is perfectly obedient to the Father. We're learning things about Jesus. He's completely God and he's perfectly obedient to the Father. And the Christian doctrine, the Christian belief of the Trinity helps make sense of this. This is part of the revelation of how we understand the triune Godhead, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We do not believe that there are three gods. We believe that there is one God. So there is one God in essence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one God in essence, and they are three in persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when we speak of three gods or three manifestations, we speak of one God in three persons. And then we see something incredible here. If we sort of slow down and listen to what Jesus says about his relationship to the Father, there is a shocking divine humility in what Christ has said. I have come to do what the Father's told me to do. I will only do what the Father has given me to do. I will perfectly and completely do everything the Father's called me to do. God the Son wants the same thing that God the Father does. So he willingly submits himself to the divine plan to restore everything back to God. And this is part of that plan, God in flesh walking amongst us, going to the cross, dying, going into the grave, rising again on the third day, ascending to the Father. The Son wants everything the Father wants. So he willingly submits himself to God's plan. Listen to this passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 2. Now, when we think about the divine trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, we think, well, that's, that's pretty heady metaphysical stuff. I don't know exactly what that has to do with any of us, why necessarily that's all that important. But when we're reading a passage of Scripture like this and we are reading about the shocking divine humility of Jesus Christ to the plan of the Father, the Apostle Paul later on, when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he pulls that right into you and me. This has consequence in my life now. Listen to how the Apostle Paul takes this truth and applies it to you and me in Philippians chapter 2. This is a little bit of a long passage, but all of it is important. Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Christ, God the Son, empties himself and then humbles himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Son wants the same thing God the Father wants. So he submits himself to the plan. He empties himself, takes on the form of someone who looks a little bit like you and me. He humbles himself even to the point of the cross. And then he's raised from the dead and all of it is done for the glory of God the Father. You take all of that, this truth about Jesus Christ, and then the Apostle Paul turns around and points at you and me and says, I want you to think the same way he does. I want you to develop the same kind of humility that Christ himself showed. So this is life-changing stuff that you and I are reading inside of this passage of Scripture. And as this passage moves on, I, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And as, as this passage goes on, in these just few sentences, some pretty cool things happen. Jesus reveals several aspects of his relationship with the Father. Authority, love, power, judgment, and honor. Christ is talking about these aspects of his relationship with God the Father and what they mean. This concept of authority, you and I just began to scratch the surface on this issue of authority. The Son does only what he sees the Father doing what the Father shows him to do. Love. The Father has completely revealed his mind and his will to his Son. In complete and perfect love, God the Father has revealed himself to the Son. And then there's power. The Father and the Son both have the power of life, the creative power of life. All that exists now is spoken into existence by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then the power of life over death itself, that Christ will give life to those who believe. Authority, love, and power. And then the issue of judgment. Jesus raises the issue of judgment. And he says some really interesting things. The Father gives judgment to the Son. And then honor, the unity between God the Father and God the Son is so complete and is so perfect that to honor one is to honor the other. To reject one is to reject the other. We've talked about this relationship of, the, of authority. Let's talk now about this relationship of love. In verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him 
so that you may marvel, so that you may be in awe of what God is doing. This relationship of love. This is a powerful counterpoint or counterpart to the submission that Christ has just described, to the humility that he has just described in his relationship with the Father. So on the other side of that, we have perfect and complete and absolute revealing love from God the Father to God the Son. The perfect love of the Father shows the Son all of his good will, and then the Son willingly and perfectly carries all of it out. Humility and submission come to their full fruit in a relationship of perfect and absolute love. Part of what strikes me about this is that this is the gospel from the other point of view. The other point of view. So you and I hear the gospel and we speak of the gospel in terms of I am a sinner saved by grace. Christ has come to reveal God to me so that I may be in a relationship with him, that believing in him that we would have everlasting life. This is the good news that there is in Jesus Christ. What we're learning here is the gospel from the other point of view, from God's point of view. This is what God wants done. So the son says, I will perfectly do this. I will walk this earth and go to the cross and rise again from the dead and come again as King of kings and as Lord of lords. This is the good news of Jesus Christ from the counsel of God. I love this. The submission, the humility in the part of Jesus Christ and the will, the desire of God to restore all things to himself. And Jesus is saying, look, God the Father is revealing to me what needs to happen. He's showing me what I'm supposed to do next. And this thing that everybody is all upset about, that I've given this lame man the power to walk, and he's carrying his mat further than he's supposed to carry it on the Sabbath day. Guess what? God is going to give me even greater things to do. In fact, people are going to rise from the dead. In fact, something else is going to happen. I'm going to rise from the dead. And you're going to marvel at the power and the love and the goodness of God. So God is continually at work inside of the the life of the Son because the Son is perfectly obedient to the voice of the Father. So we have this relationship of authority that sometimes may even surprise us. But then we've got this relationship of love that makes it all make sense. And then there is this life that they give. The power that God the Father and God the Son have. In verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father will raise every human soul at the end of the age. The next little paragraph that we're going to read is going to say that everybody in the tombs will hear the voice of the Father and they will rise from the dead. Death is no obstacle for God the Father or for God the Son. And our passage tells us that just as God has this power of life, so the Son has the power of life to raise life in those that he will. He will give physical life to those who have died, but most importantly, especially in the context of John's gospel, whoever listens to me and believes in me, Jesus says, will have eternal life. I will raise you spiritually from the dead, and you will have eternal life with me. The only one with this kind of power of life, 
The only one who is stronger than death itself is Jesus Christ. In fact, we sang this a little bit this morning. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is ready to go ahead and die and be with Jesus. How many of you have ever felt that way? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just ready to go be with Jesus. So he's telling the Philippians, he goes, okay, I can kind of see positives on both sides of it. If I'm here, then we, can get to, we get to continue to do our work for the kingdom of God here on earth. But man, if I die, I'm with Jesus, right? So he says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever loss there is in death is overwhelmed by the gain that there is being face-to-face with Jesus Christ, he says. But while I'm here on earth, I walk with Christ. I live with Christ. I follow Christ. I submit to Christ. We do the work of Christ. And then when that moment comes, I gain Jesus himself. This is the kind of power Jesus says belongs to God the Father. And he just keeps pressing these Jewish authorities. He keeps pressing us in our understanding of him. I have that authority, Jesus says. And then Jesus just keeps pouring it on here in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. The judgment of God. How and why he gives it to Jesus Christ. What again Jesus is doing in this passage, we've talked about authority and love and the power of life, and now all of a sudden he's talking about this topic of judgment. Friends, listen, all of us, every human being desires evil to be judged and injustice to be dealt with. But Christ is telling us that God the Father and He, God the Son, are the only ones who have the power and the knowledge to distribute justice with perfection. If any one of us were given even an ounce of the power to judge that Christ judged, man, things would go bad fast. Now, all of your enemies would get exactly what's coming to them, right? (laughs) But only Jesus Christ, as God himself, is able to perfectly distribute justice. And this is the ability to deal with Now, let this soak in for a second. All injustice that has ever been done since the dawn of humanity, every interpersonal relationship, every large-scale injustice, every small-scale injustice, none of us have the power to handle that. None of us have the knowledge to handle that, the righteousness to handle that, the love to handle that. Only Jesus does. And Jesus is... God has given all judgment into the hand of the Son. And when this happens, it places judgment in the hands of God the Son, the one who is rejected and crucified, but it also keeps judgment in the hands of God. It's God the Son is co-equal with God the Father. So it's an incredible thing that Jesus is talking about here. It reminds me of a passage early on in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 2. 
Psalm chapter 2 essentially breaks itself into three parts. And in part 1, act 1 of Psalm chapter 2 is, All of the nations of the earth gather themselves together, raging against God, ready to break their shackles from him, ready to destroy God. In act number 2, God sits in his heaven and laughs. Says, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do. And in act number three of Psalm chapter two, it's a warning to everyone to say, Love the Son, or else judgment will fall upon you. And here's part of what happens in the middle of that Psalm, chapter two, verses seven, eight, and nine. The Psalm says this I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God is laying judgment in the hands of the Son, and he is giving creation and humanity to the Son. We see this come to fruition in Revelation chapter 19 as God the Son comes riding in on a white horse to finalize the moment that Psalm chapter 2 speaks of. And it's God the Son who does that in one of the most dramatic moments in all of Scripture. And then there is this talk about honor in verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus and the Father are a matching set. You can't get one without the other. You accept one, you accept the other. You reject one, you reject the other. But this is beginning to make sense to us now. If, if we're following through on this and this is making sense to us, we're thinking, well, that, that's, that's exactly right. If God is, or if Jesus is co-equal with God the Father, and all of this is true about God's plan and Christ's submission to it and their power and judgment, then I'm taking both of them in, and to honor one is to honor the other. So the call of the gospel always is put your trust in Jesus Christ. Because this is the tipping point. This is the point at which you and I are shown Jesus and we're told he is the one. Trust in him, believe in him, follow him, and God the Father and God the Son are inside of this same deal. And so we're shown God the Son as he reveals all of the rest of this to us. And then Jesus bookends this teaching. Remember it began with truly, truly I say to you, and then verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. All judgment has given, been given to the Son, but if you believe in me, you escape that judgment. But has passed from death to life. The power that Christ has to give life. So now it is a call for all of us to listen and to believe, to put our trust in Jesus. Whoever hears my word, whoever listens to me and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So this simple call to listen and believe boils this whole teaching down to this fundamental truth that Jesus is the author of life and that he is offering it to everyone. And anyone who receives it receives life. And anyone who rejects Christ stays in death. 
And then Jesus, after talking about this power of life and the power of judgment that's been given to him, he circles back around and says, well, if you've listened to me and trusted in me, you actually escape all of that judgment. To escape the judgment of sin that is coming, it's all because of Christ and his act upon the cross and our act of submission to the Son of God. Here's how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2. He says, In you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Listen to that language of life. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It's as if there is a book full of everything that you've done wrong that stands against you. And Paul says, but here's what happened. Christ nailed it on the cross, and it's gone. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Whoever listens to me and believes the one who has sent me receives eternal life and escapes the judgment, not because we have become good people, but because we believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus continues. Let's get a couple more thoughts here, beginning in verse 25. He says again, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Christ actually ties some of these loose ends together to help them make sense and to sort of press them upon you and me. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God. It's this great verse that pulls all of these truths into Jesus and the message that he is speaking of salvation here and now when he actually physically speaks it and then when you and I hear it and read it on this, this morning. It's all being pulled into this very moment. We are no longer waiting for the Messiah, Jesus says. He has come and he is here. We're no longer waiting for the moment of salvation to show up. Our salvation is here. There's this sense of intensity when Jesus speaks these words. Those who can hear the voice of God in this very moment are those who are dead spiritually and are coming to life as they hear what Christ has to say and as they listen to him. Then he says, Christ, God has given this power of judgment into the Son because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Jesus takes us from this relationship that he has with the Father to the end of history as we know it. 
This is the judgment that he has been given, the judgment of all things. And this is this overwhelming truth. Every injustice, every rebellion, every sin has been given to Jesus Christ to handle. And for those who listen to Christ, who put their trust in him, that judgment has already been taken care of on the cross. And for those who reject Christ, he says, there is still yet judgment to come. For those who have done good, for those who have done evil, this is language inside of the New Testament that doesn't mean that we do good enough things long enough to be accepted by Jesus Christ. This is an expression of how we live out what we believe. We're taught clearly inside of Scripture that it is by faith through grace that we have received the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us, any one of us should boast that we're better than anybody else. But now that we have received this gift of salvation, we've been made new creatures, new creations, and now we live into this brand new life. We live into the way that God created us to live. This is how Jesus is speaking. Those who are living out what they believe about God the Father, those who are living out what they believe about rejecting Jesus Christ. And guys, this is important. Every human being will be resurrected for all of eternity. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting judgment. This is an important thing for us to hear. Every human soul is eternal. Every human soul, you have never met a human being who will cease to exist. This is why the call of Christ is so important. This is why Christ presses this. This is why the Gospel of John has used some of the same vocabulary just in the first five chapters over and over and over. Believe in Jesus and you have eternal life. Believe in Jesus and you have eternal life. Jesus says, listen to me. Trust the one who has sent me and you will escape this judgment. The call is clear and the call is easy and the call changes everything. The fact that this Jesus is God changes absolutely everything. And it lays this claim upon my life. What will I do with Jesus? Thinking through a passage of Scripture like this, I, I was kind of left with this question. Well, what is it that we do with this? The kinds of things that Jesus revealed to us about himself. And these are a few of the things that you know, God kind of laid on my heart about what we do with a passage of Scripture like this. It's beautiful to understand Christ more and to listen to him talk about himself so that you and I can know him more. This is life, knowing Jesus and who he is and living in him. This is life. And what do we do with this now? I think this might be for some of us this morning. Give judgment to Christ. Just give it to Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to him, including the authority to judge. Everything that's been done to you, everything that's been done by you, everything that you see going on in this world that deserves judgment, let's learn how to lay this at the feet of Jesus Christ. This means giving judgment to the perfect creator of all things. This means giving judgment 
to the perfect moral center of the universe. Jesus is the organizing principle of all that exists. This means giving judgment to the all-knowing and all-loving Jesus Christ. With as much as we are called to do with what's in our hands to do, friends, we cannot balance all of the injustice and sin in the world. We can't even balance the sin and injustice that is inside of our own individual hearts. But we know in our core that it needs to be dealt with. Judgment is a burden that is too great for us to bear. And when we bear that burden for too long, it absolutely tears us to pieces. There's a certain kind of freedom that is found in Jesus Christ when we lay judgment at the feet of the King of Kings. It's already been given to him. And he will in absolute perfection and righteousness and love and holiness deal with these things. The eternity that belongs to Jesus Christ is what makes sense of our moral universe. And we're able to lay these things at Jesus' feet. Let's give that judgment to Jesus Christ. And then let's hear again that you and I are supposed to live the life that Jesus Christ gives us to lead. Life with Christ is just different than life without Christ. This so often is the teaching of every single epistle. There's a way in which an epistle is going to say something like this. You used to be like this, but now because of Jesus, you're supposed to be like this. Don't walk in the way of life that you used to walk in. There's a brand new way of life that you walk in now, and it's only made possible through Jesus Christ. This is important for us. Because our world will try to convince us that life with Jesus Christ is out of step. It is oppressive. It is puritanical. It is judgmental. And on and on these epithets go. When in reality, it is the only way to true life now and eternal life with joy and glory. And Christians will need, you and I will need to be more deliberate about the public lives we lead with Jesus Christ as time moves on. Further, our culture forces itself away from the life that Christ has given us. The more countercultural you will become just being a Christian in public, the more of a witness our lives and our churches will become just being faithful to Jesus Christ day after day after day, it will become extraordinary. We won't have to do the extraordinary things to be extraordinary. We'll just have to look like Jesus Christ tomorrow morning. And that's just becoming more and more extraordinary all the time. But why would I exchange what is true for what is a lie? Why would I exchange life for death? We do not now, and we are not now given the prerogative by Christ to judge those who are without Christ. What we do now is we join Christ in calling them to him. Listen to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. This is eternal life. And so there it is. We listen and we trust. I heard this recently 
Charles Spurgeon, the way that he puts something. Charles Spurgeon says that no poisoned food is served at the table of the Lord. And so it is that no false or damaging word is ever spoken by Jesus Christ. We listen to him and we trust him. We can trust every word and we need to learn to hear as much as we can to develop ears that are ready to hear what Christ wants to say. The Holy Spirit dwells in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity who is with us now, speaking the words of Christ and leading us to Jesus Christ. Jesus actually speaks of this later on in John's Gospel. So we now begin to develop ears that can hear. What is my prayer life like? What does worship look like for me? And not just what we do on Sunday mornings. The kinds of things that we do on Sunday mornings, friends, should be a recharge. Shouldn't be the only time in the week when we do these things. What does worship look like for me? What does scripture reading look like for me? Am I actually engaged with the preaching and teaching, the hearing of the word of God? In conversations with other reliable, mature Christians, as we do these things, we are developing the sensitivity that we need to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. We listen and we trust. Guys, if I believe that something is true, I simply go about my day as if that is true. It just literally guides my steps through the day. I drive on the right-hand side of the road because I think that's better than driving on the left-hand side of the road. So it just guides my steps. I can trust my spouse. If you can trust your spouse, if you can trust a friend, you just make normal decisions through the day, believing that that's just the case. This is true, so I'm now I'm just going to live like this is the case. Do I believe that the things that Jesus says are true? Do I believe that this is true? Everything that we have just read, even though this deals with the relationship with God the Father and God the Son, we have seen now that that presses itself upon our lives. These truths. Can I now just live my daily life as if these things are true? What is it that Jesus says? What is it that Jesus does? Because it is perfectly in line with the voice and the will and the desire of the Heavenly Father. So now can I just live my life as if all of this is true. Let's pray.